Welcome to the Revolution of Interdependence podcast. My name is Will Sampson. I'm a social scientist who guides executives and companies to new levels of growth. If you want to improve your life all by yourself, look, that's your business. But if you want help from others, that's our business. And that's what this podcast is all about, helping each other succeed. We do that by inviting people into a growing revolution of interdependence. So let's get into today's podcast. Well, hey, everyone. Um, My guest today is Emily Sander. And Emily Sander has been in the business world for 15 years. She's got a ton of accomplishments. She was part of the testing team for the first Kindle device. She's been part of a six-person startup uh, team. She's built a global client management team from scratch. And she's a coach who works with business leaders all around the world of all types, all seasoned executives, entrepreneurs, first-time managers. She's also the author of Hacking Executive Leadership, and we're going to get into that, hopefully. It's a book that distills her combined insights into a short, easy-to-read book. Um, And Emily, we always start with one question, and I love that this is a question you already asked your coaching clients, so (laughs) so you're familiar with it. So um, I'll I'll actually ask the question the way you ask it, which is, who has been an influential person in your life, and how did they impact you? One of the biggest mentors I had, or most impactful mentors I had, actually was very early in my career, and I was very, very lucky to collaborate with him, and he was my manager. And um, I remember sitting in his office and he said, Emily, you know, you could run a department one day. And at that time, that was the furthest thing from my thought process, from what I thought was possible. You might as well have said, Emily, you're going to you know, fly to Mars one day. Right. And I did like the double take around my shoulders, like, are you talking to me? Um, and he planted that seed. And he cultivated it over time. And he really spoke, you know, into the vision and my potential. And at that time, I was um, a lead. So I was kind of one step above entry level. I was doing good at my job. I worked hard. I was good with clients. I I had demonstrated fledgling leadership skills. And he just took that potential and ran with it. But I remember distinctly, you know, his face, that office, that moment, and it really sparked something and ignited something in me that I didn't see myself. And of course, you know, over many series of circumstances and over years that developed into me leading teams and uh, managing departments and becoming an executive. And and now I currently serve on the C-suite, but that was just that little kind of flick and change in trajectory that changed my career and my life and my thought process about myself. So um, that always stands out as as an impactful mentor. I love that story. Thank you for sharing. And you know, we're we're all about interdependence here, kind of how we help each other succeed. And we often don't think about those stories. We move, we kind of move on with our life and we don't think about those stories of those people who impacted us because when we focus on them, we can then focus on how we can be that for another person. So excellent. Thank you for sharing that. So let's jump in. Uh, I, I love this idea of swi- the, the swizzle method. Um, and I won't even try to do it justice. You go ahead and tell, tell us all about it. And then I've got some follow-up questions after that. Yes. So swizzle is a, a word I made up and I was going fast and talking to my team one day and I said, let's just swizzle the PowerPoint decks. And in context, that meant we have a PowerPoint presentation coming up. We're going to have to do 
we have three previous decks that we've used. I wanted them to pull the best and most relevant information from the previous three, make a brand new deck um, and something we could use. So Swizzle, um, that, that's how it was born. And it's a, it's a way to be resourceful. And it's a way to creatively problem solve. And so you can use the framework of Swizzle with tangible, you know, kind of practical, tactical things like a PowerPoint. And you can also expand that theme into something larger. So an example I give is I was listening to a podcast with Floyd Mayweather, and he is a champion boxer. I'm not into boxing. You don't want to see me box or talk about boxing. Um, but I like listening to interviews with people. And the interview, the interviewer was trying to get him to talk about, like, why are you the best? Like, what makes you the champion? Is it your training? Is it your diet? Is it, you know, your fitness? And he finally says, it's my adaptability. And it's my ability to adapt to any opponent any round and any punch. And I do that better than anyone else. And that's why I'm the champion. And me listening, I was like, ding, you know, light bulb goes off. I'm not a boxer, but I can apply that principle and that theme of adaptability to my world, which is business, which is coaching. Am I adapting the best I can to um, different scenarios, uh, you know, situational leadership? Am I adapting to my interactions with people? Am I communicating in a way that's going to land best for them? and make yeah. my message as effective for them. And so that's a, a, another example of swizzling. So it's lifting and shifting the relevant and best parts of what I heard on that podcast and applying it um, in a way that's helpful in my world. I love that. And is, adapt, is, is adaptability, um, is it a critical skill? I mean, it's sort of a loaded question, but adaptability is a critical skill. Why, why so? Like how, how, do your, how do you help your clients with adaptability and why is it such a critical skill right now? Absolutely. I mean, I think even before the last couple of years with global yeah. pandemic and everything, adaptability is huge in leadership. Um, and it was just more pronounced and accentuated with, with the last 24 months where people had to adapt very quickly and in very big ways to uh, market changes and regulations and downsizing and decisions about different departments. And so I think I saw a lot of leaders struggle with the resistance to change and like, oh, I don't like this. So I'm going to fight it. And then it almost double stacks them against themselves, meaning you have this event, which is unexpected. And that is what it is in and of itself. And then if you double stack a layer of stress and resistance and trying to make this not be the case, it almost, you know, it's, it's a double whammy. And so people who could adapt quickly and yeah. adapt effectively and get themselves calmed down and in a good place to lead and then help their teams and help their companies adapt well. Really, you know, I, I could see a stark difference between people's reactions and their adaptability to COVID um, and the ramifications from that. But even without COVID, I think, you know, you have things come up at a, you know, weekly, daily level where it's like, oh, I didn't see that coming or, oh, I'm going to have to adapt my approach to this team meeting. This one in a different direction than I than I thought it would, um, and being able to respond to change and say, this is neutral, change in and of itself is neutral. We often slap a negative label, label on it, right. but let me see the opportunity. Let me adapt uh, with a plum and let me adapt with ease and take this in my stride. And if you just work on that skill, adapting and your response to change is a skill you can build up like anything else. It will serve you well in leadership, in life, in everything. Yeah, I love that. There's so much out there 
in terms of mindset to move you toward being able to adapt growth by Carol Dweck, um, flow by Mihai Chikvent Mihai. I think I'm pronouncing that nice. right. Uh, so there's all, there's, there's lots of knowledge out there and yet there's still, people still get tripped up on that adaptability. They get tripped up on the change. They get to that. They get confronted with the change. They don't want to make the change. What, what makes the difference and what makes people be able to change? One of the biggest things is having confidence, you can figure it out. Right. A lot of people, I mean, the human brain just doesn't like uncertainty. Uh, it, it's a natural, intuitive thing. Like when something's uncertain, do you feel comfortable or do you feel uncomfortable? Sure. So people get that. And there's been studies where the human brain just likes to be certain. And so if there's uncertainty, it'll make up a story. It'll try to help you and, and yeah. predict an outcome. Um, and sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you don't know what's going to happen. And so that can be really unsettling. I work with my clients on saying, you can handle it and you can figure it out. And the reason I know that is because you're here today. And so you have handled and you have figured out a whole bunch of previous scenarios and situations that were unexpected. And sometimes it's a matter of going back and listing them and say, you know, you know, Will, think of a time when you didn't know how something was going to turn out and you were really worried about it. Did that resolve itself somehow? And of course the answer is yes. And did you have to figure something out that you didn't think you could or you didn't know about before? And of course the answer is yes. And so kind of leapfrogging over to no matter what happens, no matter what transpires or unfolds, I will be able to figure it out. I'll be able to handle it. When the time comes, when I actually have to take action and make a decision, I can do that. And so yeah. that that is often helpful. I'm like, okay, like, yes, like no matter what happens and I don't have to try to figure it out or have to pinpoint the exact answer, I'll get closer. I'll take guidance. I'll look at the information. I'll make the best decision I can, but in the end I can figure it out and I have confidence in myself to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And in many ways, your clients get to borrow that from you for the time. I'm wondering how you equip your clients to self-coach themselves like how do they become so right now i've i'm i'm in my i'm meeting with my coach emily and she said yeah i have the confidence to do this and so now i do for at least the next i don't know a couple hours however long it takes <laughs> me to tackle that task how do you self-coach how do your clients how do you coach your clients to self-coach to move beyond just working with you and and then begin to really internalize that mindset absolutely the Self-awareness is the first step for anything. So being aware of something is the first step to changing anything. And oftentimes it takes a lot of foundation work. I'm talking weeks, possibly months for someone to be able to catch themselves, so to speak, mm -hmm. catch yourself when your thoughts are going in a certain direct in a certain direction, catch yourself when you're like, Oh, I'm over worrying or I'm being self-critical or I have gone past the point of thinking about something to its usefulness. Yeah. So if something unexpected happens and it's uncertain, it makes sense to think about it to a certain extent. Let me think about, you know, the possible scenarios and like maybe what I'm going to do here and there. And that's all well and fine. That's a prudent thing to do. You're being organized. There comes a point where any thought past that is you're just jumping on the hamster wheel and you just like spinning your wheels for no reason and over worrying and over stressing. And it literally does, you no good, there's no helpfulness beyond that. And so being aware of, Hey, I've hit that threshold or, Hey, I've, you know, kind of thought through it to the point where I want to think through it. 
and um, I'm catching myself going in another direction. So just that in and of itself is really helpful. And a lot of people, um, again, we talked about resistance and friction before. They'll say like, oh, like I have to stop this right now. And the first step is just being aware of it right. with placing no judgment on it and saying, okay, I might, my brain might want to go in that direction and let me just see it for what it is and be aware of that. And just that simple distance and creating that space is really helpful. And then the next phase is, okay, is that thought serving me well? Right. No, because it's doing no good. Okay. So let me get to neutral. And that's the second step. And then the next step along that path would be, let me replace it with something more useful. So it could just be like, hey, no matter what happens, I can handle it or whatever uh, replacement thought or baby thought you want to put in there. And then you just go through that process again. Let me be aware. I'm noticing it. Let me go to neutral. Let me replace it. And you do that over and over and over again. And then eventually the new thought you have, the one that's helping you and serving you better will become your default becomes the default becomes the dominant thought i love that i love that it's a re it's a process of re-scripting yes exactly and but it's a habit too which i love and so that really that was actually going to be my next question so mindfulness is a uh, or what you're advocating is a mindset but i'm wondering like what kinds of habits do you uh, coach your clients toward to really help build that mindset, to help them build resilience, the ability to conquer change? Like what are, what, what habits do you, you help your folks focus on? It is a habit and that's an important point. So just people think, oh, let, let me do that three or four times and I'll be good. Yeah. No, no, no. You got to build that new habit. So I think that's important to throw out there as well. Well worth it. It does take work and time. Well worth it. Yeah. Um, so habits. So it depends on kind of the client I'm working with in the situation, of course, but a few things I can, I can share are we often go through our days very busy, right? A lot of us are on a frenetic pace and we're hectic and we're in meetings and we're on calls and we're picking up kids and all the rest. And so sometimes it's building in um, habits to existing habits you have. So habit stacking. So an easy one is most people hopefully brush their teeth <laughs> twice a day or at least once a day. Um, yeah. And so you just kind of do that automatically on autopilot. And by the way, that is a habit that you, that you have. And so you can stack another where it's like, okay, while I'm brushing my teeth, I'm going to say, uh, you know, three encouraging words to myself, or I'm just going to kind of say, let me set the tone and tenor for my day in the direction I want. And that's kind of an easy one. If um, I have clients who, when they go through a certain doorway, they say something to themselves like, hey, I'm going into this conference room, this meeting room. I want to show up in a certain way as the leader of that uh, meeting. So I'm going to remember to be you know, confident, uh, listen actively and be encouraging to my team. Like those are the three thoughts that I'm going to say every time I go in this door. And so there's just little tiny things you can do um, that might not take a whole bunch of time because you know, business professionals are very busy um, or take a lot of, you know, I have to buy this thing and, you know, get this mat and go meditate for 90 minutes type of thing, but just little tiny um, habits, incremental changes and incremental improvements that will add up over time. Believe me, the, the compounding effect and the dividends that you can reap from these small incremental micro habits or stack habits can, can serve you very well. I love that. I want to go back to just the basic idea of swizzling because swizzling is probably kind of a habit as well. Like, uh, you know, being in the habit of seeing what, what 
worked in the past and what can I kind of bring and remix together? I'm just curious, like, what do you, what do you see as some of the really great outcomes of that swiz- following through on that swizzling method? Sure. So one of the biggest is uh, you can tap into different areas of your life. A lot of people kind of silo. Here's like the work area of my life. Here's the personal area of my life. Maybe here's my hobby. And they kind of uh, are tunnel vision and keep those in distinct spots. And really, you can and should lift and shift different principles and apply them in different areas. Um, You know, a quick example of this is I go to the gym and work out. And there's this uh, methodology whereby instead of going to failure. So if you're weightlifting and you're like trying to max out and going to failure, you actually want to stop a little bit shy of that. So you don't want to go full out 110%, uh, which is, you know, nice on YouTube videos or Instagram or whatever. But if you actually want to be most productive and effective over time, you want to stop a little bit before that. And the reason is uh, you'll actually be more effective the next day that you try to work out. So your, your muscles will be able to recover and you'll be able to do more uh, effective workouts for longer. Take that principle and shift it to business. Well, if you're working late and you're burning the candle at both ends, uh, you know, you can go to failure, so to speak, sometimes, but it's better for you to stop a little bit earlier. So, hey, if I'm working late and my brain is dead and I'm past the point of diminishing returns where anything I do after this is right. just going to be a waste of time and not high quality work. It's better for me to stop, leave a little bit before my brain completely dies and mm-hmm. then come back tomorrow and have a, have a more effective work session or more effective workout in the, in the gym example. So that's something where you can uh, just use it from different areas of life. And I think it also, for me, it is a built-in habit and I'm actively looking for things. I'm actively looking yeah. for principles and themes and frameworks and tips and tricks and things people say, billboards, advertising, anything is just like all this open field and just this opportunity of, oh, how can I make myself better? And so when you're actively looking for that, more things will appear. It's very similar to if I said, you know, hey, look for red cars. All of a sudden you're like, wow, there's a lot of red cars on the road. Like the manufacturers must have like up their their game here. And it's, it's in fact, no, of course, they haven't changed the number of red cars. You're just looking for them. So you see more of them. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That also is a mindset though. And it's, it's the antithesis to the kind of failure mindset that people sometimes get caught in. So I'd love to hear you talk about failure, your concept of a failure loop and how that can be used to move you in a, in a better direction. The failure loop framework is a way of reimagining failure as people traditionally think about it. So um, there's a little graph in my, in my book, but I'll explain it to your listeners. Uh, think of individual loops in a chain that go up and to the right. So the chain goes up and to the right, and then there's individual loops that make it up. In an individual loop, there's a point where it goes back down into the left. So it dips down, right? And that's when, that's the failure event. So an external failure event has happened. And that's, you know, I didn't do as well on that presentation. I, you know, my voice quivered and I started stuttering and I didn't say my message the way I wanted to. Or, okay, that decision I made did not go how I wanted it to. And now everyone sees it and now I'm embarrassed and um, I failed at that. And that's the point where, it feels really crappy. And it's that gut punch. And it's that just like, oh, no, I failed. 
And a lot of people stop there. And a lot of people <clears throat> sit down and declare themselves a failure and stop. And if instead you take the learning and you take the lesson out of that event, even if that might be hard or painful to do, and you apply it the next time, you've just propelled yourself up the chain and you've just propelled yourself to the new level and you've made progress. And so having this visual framework or just this mental model in your head about failure can really change your relationship with it. So instead of uh, failure is just all negative and it's just, uh, uh, I have to think badly about myself as a person every time I fail, you can say, no, let me, let me put this in perspective and know where I am in the process. I'm on that bottom part of the individual loop. And what do I need to do now? I need to take the lesson and take the learning and apply it going forward. And if I do that, then I've just grown. I've just improved and I just made progress. And it's the definition of learning. So it's not uh, easy at times, believe me, I understand, but just the simple awareness of, I know where I am in the process. I know what I need to do. And if you take that failure loop methodology uh, to heart, and you do that over and over again in your career, in your life, you will be a successful person. Yeah, I love that. And the path to leadership is all is by definition paved with some failures along the way and some mistakes and some things you need to learn from. How do you help people level up their leadership? And how, how do you help people move into leadership positions? I think you're right. I mean, Failure, in quotes, is actually a mark of a successful person, in yeah. my opinion, because that means someone is putting themselves out there, they're trying new things, they're trying to do things they haven't done before. And so as a leader in anything, I mean, you think about, you know, I work in the business world, if you're taking on a VP role and you've never had one, if you're taking on a C-suite role and you've never had one, well, of course, you're going to get out there, try something new, and it might not... It, it will not go perfectly to plan and you're going to have to adapt quickly and put it in the failure loop model and get yourself up to that next, that next rung. Um, and so I think it's putting all these things together. I love the craft of leadership and I think leadership evolves over time. So we, as people evolve over time, we grow as, as humans and our leadership does as well. And so having these frameworks to fall back on or use, pull out of your, your toolbox, so to speak, and apply in the right ways in the right situations. That's what I like to arm my clients with. It's not, here's what you need to specifically do in this situation. Sometimes we talk about that and, you know, I can give my recommendation if they, if they would like, but more so it's, I want to arm you with the, the tools and frameworks that are going to help you best and then help you learn how to use them. And so then you can do it on your own and you can go off and say, hey, I can self-coach or I can apply these in the right way. Or I just feel real confident that I have what I need in any situation. And I can draw on them in the right ways. I love that. I love that. And what, what do you see as the biggest barriers for people really moving into leadership? Because I see this true, you know, as well, working with C-suite executives, um, they they get to that place and then they, they kind of, they tend to hit these barriers where they're not quite sure how to move forward. Like, what do you see as the biggest barriers moving forward to, to leadership into, into like full, full on leadership? That's a big question. I will share that. Um, a lot of times it's internal. So mm -hmm. they, yep. they are like, I need to 
um, be more prepared to take that next step. And that could come in different forms. So I need more training. I need more education. I need more confidence. I need someone else to tell me that I can do this. And it's like, hey, with the confidence piece, a big one is you can't wait until you feel confident. Right. You have to act and then the feelings will follow. And so they're like, they're sitting there like, I'm waiting to feel confident. I'm waiting to feel like I'm ready for this job. It's like, no, no, no. You have it backwards. You have to go out and ask for that job and advocate mm-hmm. for yourself. And then you will gain the experience and the competence, which will lead to confidence. Um, and so that's a big one that, that holds people back. Um, you know, there are times where uh, we talked about mentorship before. You need to be a person of excellence. You need to work hard. You need to be with integrity and do a good job. And then someone sometimes has to open a door for you. And there are those inflection points in careers where, hey, someone sees potential in you and they open a door for you. And um, you have to go through it and you have to be ready. So preparation, opportunity, all of those things. Get yourself in position to walk through open doors. Like get yourself right. Don't be lazy. Don't lay back. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Be a person of excellence, work hard, learn, grow, improve. And so when someone or when an opportunity presents itself, you know, you don't timidly go, oh, should I walk through this door? You knock it down and you walk through it and you walk through it with confidence. So I think those um, are some big ones. On the flip side, I just would like to add, if you are in a position to open a door for someone else, do it, right? Pay yes. it forward. So if, yep. if you're in a position and you see someone, oh my gosh, you know, Will is a hard worker. He's really smart. He's great with clients. He's great with people. And he just doesn't have uh, an opportunity. Let me get his name out there in our leadership meetings. Let me say, can we make a new role for him? Let me say, hey, so-and-so is moving on. Will would be a great backfill. Can we kind of talk about this and get his name out there? Open the doors for other people. Yeah, I love that. And it, it, it's, it's both. I mean, because we focus so much on, on interdependence, we encourage people to open those doors. But a lot of our work, a lot of my work is preparing people to see the open door. I think that's where I see it frustra- especially with a lot of like people coming into senior manage- management, they haven't quite gotten to the C-suite yet, or they, they aspire to greater leadership. And I tend to work with tech organizations. Um, and as, we, as I work with them, there's often been a number of open doors that they just didn't either see or walk through. There's a confidence um, and a mindset there um, that's important. I love you talk about, I'd like to hear you more talk more about this aptitude and attitudes bucket, because I think that's kind of, that's been a, a sub-theme of what we've been talking about the whole time. Sure. Aptitude and attitude, that can be used in a recruiting and hiring context. Yep. And it also can be used in um, evaluating or assessing an existing team. And so when you're, when you're looking to bring someone onto your team, I often say the two big buckets you want to think about are aptitude and attitude. Aptitude are the hard skills you need. So, yeah. you know, perhaps a developer has to know a certain coding language, or if you're in finance, you've got to be a CPA. The attitude bucket is what, what it says. It's the attitude. It's, uh, are you, you know, good to work with? Do people look forward to working with you? Or do they go, oh, like Emily, like she's really good at her job. She knows her stuff, but I cringe right. when I have to interact with her. Right. Um, and it's kind of the fit, like the, the company culture fit, the team culture fit, those types of things. And so um, you should look for both. 
uh, when you're hiring and recruiting people. So they can have the hard skills. And if they don't have the attitude piece, for me, it's it's a no hire. And that can be like, ooh, they're just, they just don't have a good attitude. They're not a team player. Or it can just be like, hey, nothing wrong with them, nothing wrong with us. It's just not a good fit. So it's just right. not the right fit. And that's almost as important, if not more so, than the aptitude piece. Because who you get to work with and who you're interacting with eight to 10 hours a day is important. So you can certainly use that those buckets and that filter um, to think about recruiting and hiring. If you're inheriting a team or you're just kind of wanting to do a proactive check-in with how your team is doing now, you can think about this for your existing team members. So, okay, like I have, you know, eight existing team members. How are they doing in the aptitude and attitude buckets? And do I need to help them and support them and train them to up their game in either category? Do I need to do a little bit more coaching on, hey, this is kind of how we want to approach communicating with internal colleagues, or we might want to go a different direction with uh, how we do those client calls type of thing. So it's a good um, check-in and lens to look at your existing team as well. Yeah, I love that. And it can be a good lens even for yourself. Absolutely. Um, in terms of aptitude, I know, you know, in terms of interdependence, one of the concepts I work with is an idea called a life team. You know, if we think about our life as our own private corporation, you know, we wouldn't, we hire a CFO maybe because we don't, because we're not the most financially literate, or that's not an area where we have developed skills. And so we hire a CFO. Who's your, who's your CFO for your life team? You know, if we think about in the same way, like building an effective team in an organization, we need that for our lives as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And I just want to say, I mean, I love, I love your podcast. I love uh, your theme. And if more people had the approach of, let me go out and serve and let me go out and help people you know, it's this, the law of the world. It'll come back to you. Um, you know, get, be a person of excellence, serve others, servant leadership, get up each day and be less me centric. So what's in it for me? What am I going to do today? How do I look good? How do I get ahead? These types of things. If you switch that lens and just wake up every day and say, how can I be good to someone? How can I help someone out? How can I encourage someone? Um, these things will one, make people want to be around you. People right. draw people to you. People will want to follow you as a leader. Mm-hmm. And secondly, you're putting these good things in the world. It will come back to you. You know, if you open doors for someone, you don't know if, if a door will open later on from that same person. So it'll come back to you. But I love, love, love your theme and message. So I just wanted to throw that out there to, to everyone as well. Thank you. Thank you. So last question, just a really big picture question. Like, where do you want the world to go? Like, if, it, if, if you had a chance to sort of advise the world, where would you hope the world would begin to, to move? Oof, that's a large question. I mean, I think every, I believe that our purpose is to put good in the world. So if everyone put a little bit of good in the world, it would be a better place, right? And I think that's done through everyone's unique uh, talent and skill set. People are inclined to certain things. You mentioned financial people and, you know, there's musicians and people who are clearly meant to be an athlete, all these things. And so if you find that, um, you know, your mission and your purpose and your drive, and you uh, are, are in that space and you're contributing at your best and you're fully optimized and you're fully alive, I think if everyone was in that, or at least a little closer to that, the world would just be a different place to be in. And so I would really encourage folks to um, find that for themselves and go after it and then help others find that. And if you 
think about just your team or your neighborhood um, and extrapolate that to the world. If the world was filled with those people who wake up every day and are like, I'm excited about what I get to do. And this is, I'm in my element. I lose time doing what I'm doing because I'm so in the flow. Uh, The world would be a different place. So I would go after that. I love that thought. And what a beautiful thought to close on. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your presence. And I really am excited to share you, share your thoughts with my listeners. Thank you so much, Will. All right. Thanks. And that's a wrap for today. Please follow me on social. You can find me at Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at the Will Sampson. Please hit the subscribe button below to be notified of the latest episodes. Thanks, everyone. And I will see you next time on the Revolution of Interdependence podcast.